My name is Mary Ashton. I work here at Crossings. I get to work with Andy. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've been here for almost a year, which has been so fun. Um, it's been the biggest blessing to me personally. Um, and I just want y'all to know that we mean what we say when we stand up here for announcements, when we say, we hope you feel welcome. We hope you can find a home and a community and to live in biblical community, not just show up once or twice a week. Um, I have experienced it firsthand, and it is just awesome. Um, my sweet small group sitting over there. And it's just, it's awesome. So I'm pumped that you guys are here. I'm pumped to share with you tonight um, from God's word. But to be honest with you, you know this, but I'm just a human. I am nothing special. I uh, talk kind of funny sometimes. I'm probably going to use the word like dude and things like that a lot because that's just how I think, so that's how I'm going to talk. Um, I'm not trying to belittle or be disrespectful to God's word. That's just how I talk. Um, so I just wanted to be upfront with you guys about that. I also am incredibly um, literal. Like, I don't typically get sarcasm at all, ever. So if you tell a sarcastic joke around me and I'm like smiling and nodding and laughing, I do not get it. I'm just going along with it because everybody else is laughing. I'm like, oh, that must be funny. Um, so I talk pretty literally. I'm just gonna try to keep this simple and straightforward um, and just help us learn something from God's word that maybe we didn't know before or just remind us because we are forgetful humans. So with that said, I'm gonna pray. If you guys would join me and just ask God to speak. Um, through me. So, Heavenly Father, oh, thank you just for the truth of the songs that we just sang. Um, thank you that you're good and you love us and you sent Jesus to save us. Um, thank you that we can do nothing to earn your love, um, but that we get to walk in it freely, Lord. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you're in control. Thank you that you know us, and you see us, and you love us, and you're for us. You're on our team, and that once we know you, nothing can separate us from you, Lord. Thank you that that is all true. Um, I just thank you for this room of young adults and college students. I just pray, Lord, uh, that your word would speak in the way that only it can. It's living and active, and I trust it, and I believe in it 100%. So, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would move, that you would speak, and that this would be your words and not my own. We just thank you that we get to be here tonight. You're going to pray. Amen. Okay, so, fun fact, I love nicknames. I just love them. Uh, I, most people, if you see me walking around, someone will probably say, hey, Nash. You're like, who's Nash? Steve Cash. No, I'm, it, people call me Mash. I couldn't tell you 100% why. Jason asked that earlier. I was like, I don't know. Um, but I think back when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure it was my dad, just smushed it all together. Mary Ashton, Mash. Just a lot easier. So if you want to call me Mash, that's great. Um, but so maybe because I've always had one, or maybe because it's just fun, um, I just love nicknames. And nicknames and or saying people's names loudly and yelling them across the room. Um, so... For instance, Andy, my boss, who was just up here, who you guys probably know is a really respectful, like, Andy or Pastor Andy, Mr. Roshklob. Um, when I walk into work, usually it sounds a lot more like, Andrew! And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> that's just how I talk. It's this nickname. I don't know when it happened, probably like halfway through working here, but I love it. Um, another one is... Kaya, who usually stands back there and gives you free stuff all the time. Her name is Kaya. Kai... K-I-A-H. Um, but to me, she's 100% Kia. Kia girl. And I call her that without fault, but she kind of hates it, so don't do it unless you're friends with her. <laughs> um, 
that's another one. My little brother, um, little brother, I call him Willie Bear. His name's William. And I just am like, little Willie Bear. Uh, He's like 22 and graduated college, so I should probably stop. But um, all that to say, I love nicknames um, for a lot of reasons. And I think one thing about them is sometimes people hate them at first. Sometimes they may hate them all the way through. I don't know. You can ask them. But um, at some point, nicknames, they're kind of odd, and they just kind of become strangely endearing. That's really the only phrase I can think of. You're like, that's kind of weird, but it's sweet. Um, It's just kind of strangely endearing when someone has a nickname for you. Um, And ultimately, it makes you feel, I think, like you know someone a little bit better. Like you know them, you trust them, they know you. Uh, There's something there more than just their regular name. Does that make sense? Um, And for me, particularly, nicknames typically exemplify comfort, trust, and respect. Uh, I'm not going to just meet you and then all of a sudden make up a nickname. I I might, but I probably shouldn't. Um, So typically they exemplify comfort, trust, and respect. And so today we're still in this BC series. Uh, We're talking about life before Jesus. And sometimes even after listening to that last song, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it was like to live life before Jesus. Like if we didn't have Jesus, life would look so different. But that's the series we're in because it's important. It's in the Bible. It's a huge chunk of the Bible, and it says the whole thing is living and active. The whole thing is true. The whole thing is God-breathed. So we're studying the Old Testament right now, if you haven't been here. Um, And the story that I'm going to talk about tonight is the story of Hagar. Um, And if you've never heard of her, no big deal. Uh, She's this girl in the Old Testament, and she comes into the story in Genesis um, in relation specifically to um, Abraham and Sarah. And so there's a lot of things that happen with names in this chunk of the Bible, actually all throughout the Bible. God does lots of crazy stuff with names. He'll change people's names um, based on their circumstances. And in this story, their names are technically still Abram and Sarai. I think that's the right way to say it, Sarai. Um, And later he changes them. For the sake of teaching, I'm probably just gonna say Abraham and Sarah so you don't get confused. But if I mix it up, I'm talking about the same people, Abraham and Sarah, um, specifically in relation to this girl named Hagar. So Abraham is a pretty biblically famous dude, right? Like we hear about him, even if you've never opened the Old Testament, he's all throughout the New Testament, and he's praised specifically for one thing, and that is his faith, right? Abraham believed God, he had faith in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It says that all throughout the New Testament. But Abraham was a human, just like everybody else, and he had a lot of other things go on. So we're going to be in the part of the story in Genesis 16 when some crazy stuff happens. Prior to this, Abraham was just a normal human. Genesis 12, he shows up. God gives him this crazy promise. He says, this is what Andy talked about a few weeks ago with the whole Isaac thing. I think he mentioned this. Um, Abraham was given this promise that God told him to get up and go, to leave his homeland, to leave everything he had, his inheritance, his family, and go to a land that God would show him. He didn't even say where he was going. He's like, go to a place that I will show you. I would be like, no. Um, It was really hard. He's told this crazy thing, but he gets up and goes. So that's where we see Abraham's faith begin. At the very beginning, he had faith, but he's still gonna struggle. Um, So he gets up and goes, him and his wife, Sarai at the time, they go and God says, the crazy thing about this promise is he says, I'm gonna give you so many descendants you can't even count. At one point he says it's gonna be as many as the stars in the sky. Kind of a ridiculous 
analogy, you're like, that's a lot of descendants. Um, but specifically, he says, I don't want to butcher this, so I'm going to read it. He says in Genesis 12:3, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he tells that to Abram. He says, in you, in you guys, the whole earth, all of the families of the entire earth will be blessed. That's a large promise. You're thinking probably like, how could he bless the entire earth through one couple? Um, but it's actually one of those, if you've ever heard the term messianic prophecy, it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, which is Jesus, way before it happened, um, which is crazy. But it's talked about in Galatians 3.18. It says, when Paul says, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. Which is insane. That was thousands of years apart. He says that he preached the gospel to Abraham, saying that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. How that actually happens is that Jesus comes through the line of Abraham. Does that make sense? So Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. The people who got to the point in their life, in their 90s, uh, where they still didn't have a baby. 90 years old. Does anyone even have a grandparent that's 90 years old? That's really old. Um, and they were at that age, and they still didn't have a baby. Sarah ends up having a baby way later, um, and through that line comes Jesus. So that's what that promise means. Um, but before that happens, we see that Abraham and Sarah got kind of, what's the word, restless, anxious, nervous, afraid, um, all of those words. At ages 86 and 78, uh, Abraham was 86, Sarah was 78. God's told them a couple times that they're going to have a son. They still don't have one. Um, and they get kind of desperate. They're like, crap. I'm sure they're thinking, I don't want to screw up blessing the entire earth. Like, we can't have a baby. <laughs> like, I'm 86. <laughs> I'm sure they're just thinking, like, this is not going to go well for us or the entire earth. Um, so they do something that's pretty unfortunate. Um, they make a pretty bad decision, and they decide to, basically, Sarah's like, the jig is up, I'm not getting pregnant, um, but I have this maid, and actually a slave at this time, she worked for them, named Hagar. And so Hagar is the girl we're going to talk about tonight. Um, she says, I have this maid named Hagar. Maybe, honey, husband, you could sleep with Hagar and then she could have a baby, and then we could take it, and then she'll be the, that'll be the heir. Pretty messed up decision. Um, but that's what they decide to do. Does that make sense? Uh, they decide to manipulate God's plan so that they can see it come to fruition. And so through this, we get the story of Hagar. This is Genesis 16. So if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, you can go ahead and open to Genesis 16. This is kind of where we're going to be for the rest of the time. Um, and in Genesis 16, through the story of Hagar, we are going to learn specifically um, about the character of God in a way that we maybe don't normally learn about him um, or think about him. We're going to learn about the God that sees us, the God that cares for us, even in Genesis. I don't know about you guys, but I uh, grew up thinking, I don't know why, probably just the way I learned or processed or went to church or something, but... I thought God in the Old Testament was like really mean and scary and bad 
and kind of like spiteful and wicked. And then all of a sudden, like when Jesus came, he just got in a really good mood and decided he was going to be nicer. I literally, that's what I thought, probably up until even I was like 20. That was my thought process of God. He was this God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. Um, But tonight we're going to see that there's no such thing as God of the Old Testament or God of the New Testament. His character didn't change. Um, He didn't go from being mean to all of a sudden being nice. Jesus wasn't just like invented 2,000 years ago because we needed a backup plan. It was always the plan. Um, Hebrews 13 says that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot change. It's not who he is. So we're going to see the character of God being the same of that of the character of Jesus in the New Testament all the way back in the Old Testament. You all with me? Amazing. Okay, so Genesis 16, we're going to pick up uh, in verse 2. It says, so Sarah said to Ab- or Sarah, I said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, which is hilarious because she blames God because we're humans, blame. Um, she says, please go into my maid and perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So Sarah's bad idea, but Abraham does it just happens. And then we see after that, it says, after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband and his wife, as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I'm going to pause here because that is such a girl move. She's like, (laughs) I told you to do that, but I cannot believe you did that, and I am so mad. <laughs> like, she's, it's just hilarious to me. Uh, we've always been like that, apparently, girls. Um, so, continuing, she says, I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Abram's like, well... I'm sorry about that, but you're in charge of her, so like you could, you know, make her life miserable, and maybe she'll run away. That's Abram's solution. Um, So this is crazy. Like we think our world's crazy now, and it is, but it's been crazy for a long time. This is a mess. Their weird love triangle thing is not good. Uh, We're having problems at this point, right? Nobody is winning. Abram's not winning. Sarah's not winning. Hagar's not winning. Um, And the crazy thing is that. Sarai and Abram believed in God. They believed in God, but they didn't obey him. Does that make sense? He told them they would have a baby and that they would bless through their line all the nations of all the earth. So they chose to disobey, and because of their disobedience, their sin, there's now going to be consequences. Does that make sense? So the first point uh, that I want to make from this passage, there's a lot there, but the very first point I want to talk about is that... um, Well, that sin has consequences, but specifically that God sees and cares for us when we experience the consequences of sin. God sees and cares for us when we experience the consequences of sin. That's what we're about to read about. So picking back up in Genesis 16, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants, so that they will be too many to count. 
The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. So again, the point I want to pull from this is that God sees and cares for us when we experience the consequences of sin. So let's think about this scene for a second. Um, at this point, Hagar has been forced uh, to sleep with an old dude uh, who's her boss, and then she does it because she's supposed to, and then she's treated terrible for it, so much so that she's abused and she has to flee from her mistress, Sarai. That's what's happening here. That's the real life situation that we're going through. Um, and now she's pregnant in the wilderness all by herself. Does that make sense? She is completely alone out there in the wilderness. Um, and I don't think any of us can particularly, you're like, how does this relate? Um, none of us are probably pregnant alone in the middle of nowhere, considering we're all here together right now. Um, but I think we can draw some conclusions for this of how this affects our life and what this might look like for us as humans in 2019. Um, and so my thought is maybe the greatest pain in your life um, is the result or the consequences of somebody else's sin. Just think about that for a second. Is maybe one of the greatest pain in your life um, the results or consequences of somebody else's sin or your sin? Um, maybe you've been abused physically or emotionally uh, by a parent, friend, or significant other. You're facing the consequences of somebody else's sin. Um, maybe you are doing everything at, right at work, but your boss hates you and treats you terribly, or you just can't get a win with your clients or your coworkers or your people. Um, maybe you've been cheated on by a significant other, and you can't understand why or how this could happen or how this is, could be okay. Um, or maybe you've been in a messy and manipulative friendship and you've just ended up constantly beat down, constantly taken advantage of, and you're just hurting. Um, I would say Hagar's in a similar situation. Those are modern day examples of kind of how Hagar is feeling right now. Um, she's having a rough day, right? No one is there for her. She's alone, she's in the wilderness. Um, she's by herself, just probably trying to just find something, find, look for anything. Um, until the angel of the Lord shows up. Does that make sense? Um, I'm going to do a quick sidebar here on the angel of the Lord because it's too good to just pass by. It says the angel of the Lord found her. That's what the text says. Um, so it's, we got to wonder, who is the angel of the Lord? And why is it different than another angel? Why does she call him God? What's going on there? Um, the angel of the Lord is really an interesting topic throughout Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, this is actually the first time he shows up in the whole Bible. Uh, he shows up a couple more times, quite a few, throughout the Old Testament, and then a few in the New. Um, but the angel of the Lord is different than any other angel. People look at the angel of the Lord and they call him God. Every other angel deflects the praise and puts all the praise and glory on God. Does that make sense? But the angel of the Lord receives it. Um, what I'm getting at is most scholars, a lot of scholars, believe that the angel of the Lord is likely Jesus. 
in the Old Testament. It's kind of a wild thought, so don't let that totally just rabbit trail you the rest of this thing. Um, Pre-incarnate Jesus is the technical term, and it just means Jesus before he was born. People think maybe that he um, showed up in human or angel form at different times throughout the Old Testament at work. Um, in his people. And so whether or not it's Jesus, it's a cool thing to think about. If you have time, go look it up after this. Go blue letter, Bible letter, whatever. Um, It's very fascinating. But either way, he exemplifies characteristics very similar to Jesus, right? He finds this girl all alone in the wilderness and meets with her. Um, And it's just a pretty cool thing to think about. And we know Jesus is eternal, right? He was there at creation, um, and it would make sense if he was at work in the Old Testament like this. So something to think about. Don't rack your brain on it for too long. Um, But whether or not this is Jesus or not, the text says um, that he comes to her, and he says all this stuff, right? Um, And it doesn't necessarily seem like an insanely tender encounter, Like that part about he will be a wild donkey of a man. You're like, great, thank you so much for giving me a crazy child. Um, But the crazy thing is that he finds her, right? I think it's so easy. If you were just reading this, like, and not hating on 365-day Bible plans, but you could breeze right through this and not see the significance. God goes to this girl and meets her right where she is, Um, And he tells her a couple of things. He says, I need you to go back. Like, you're going to go back, um, but I'm going to bless you. He says he's going to give her descendants more than she can count, right? A ton of descendants. And to us, we're like, you're going to give me like 12 kids? That sounds not like a blessing. Um, But in this time, descendants were like a huge deal. Having descendants was a sign of honor and praise and glory. It was a huge thing. Um, So this is like a really big deal. And he gives her this blessing. Um, And he tells her, I'm sure at this point she was probably thinking, I could probably die. I'm out here by myself. This isn't looking good for me. But what he tells her is not just go back, your life's going to suck. He tells her that he's not done with her, right? That there is a plan. Um and that he's gonna use this bad situation to bring something good out of it. Does that make sense? He's gonna use this bad thing that has happened to her to bring something good. Um, It's a very similar theme to that of the New Testament, right? Romans 8, 28 through 31 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? So the point I want to make again from this is that God sees, right? He's not just ignoring us. He sees and he cares Uh, particularly for Hagar in this situation. Particularly does he see and care when we face the consequences of other people's sin, things we didn't ask for. Um, Which leads me into my next point, which is God sees you and cares for you even when you feel completely alone or powerless. God sees you and cares for you even when you feel completely alone or powerless. Um, 
crazy thing about this story is Genesis 16:14 says that she is in between Kadesh and Bered. And to us, we're like, weird names. Um, but what that actually tells us is that she was almost back to Egypt. Does that make sense? I picture when the Bible says that someone's in the wilderness, I literally picture them just like walking around. Poor me, I'm in the wilderness. But this girl's like booking it. She's almost back to Egypt. She's on a mission. She's not just wandering around. Um, we could maybe assume that she was trying to get home. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say it. Um, but she is not just kind of lollygagging through the wilderness. She's almost back to Egypt. Um, but I can imagine <laughs> that as she's walking, she might be thinking, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing out here? Like, what am I doing with my life? Is she spoke English? literal, my kind of English. What am I doing? I feel crazy. I am alone out here. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. What is the point of this? Um, and what I think, I don't know about y'all, but I find myself more often than I'd like to admit, but a lot of times asking myself that same question um, in life, in different ways. I will just say I'm a big car crier. I don't know about if y'all are criers. I'd like to say I'm not a crier, but I actually am. Um, and when I do, it, like 99% of the time, it's gonna happen at my car. Um, and I pretty much operate at this like 90%, like we're all good, it's all good, everything's fine, we're good, everything's good, I'm great, yeah. Until like one little thing in my life like sets off all the other emotions. So this could be like something as stupid as like them forgetting my guacamole at Chipotle, and I got it to go, and I'm on my way home, and I get home, and there's no guacamole on my Chipotle, and I'm like, oh, and like all of my emotions and my frustrations and my um, things that I are actually wrong come up because of something that wasn't that big of a deal. So that's just how I process. You might not be like that. Um, but my thought is, is a lot of times when I get to those moments, I get real with God, there's usually something else. It's not about the guacamole. There's something else in my life that is bothering me. There's something hard going on. Um, and I just don't acknowledge my emotions sometimes. So sometimes it takes getting to the guacamole for me to like, process what's going on in my life. Um, but I get to these moments where I am frustrated. Sometimes it's about uh, family. Sometimes it's about all different life things. I want to give some examples because I think it helps. Maybe for you, it's like, why am I still single? All of my friends are getting married and getting engaged, and I'm just scrolling. Oh, another one, another one. And you're just like, how, why? Why, God? Why am I still single? Or why can't I look like him or her? Why can't I have that appearance? Or why is work so hard? Why can't I just catch a break? Um, and I think um, a lot of times we can like pity party, which is, I do it, um, and sit there and cry. But recently, it's funny because my notes say last Thursday, but I'll be honest with you, it happened again yesterday. Um, in those moments, I'm reminded of uh, Genesis 16, 13 through 14 and Hagar. So picking back up in the scripture, Genesis 16, 13 through 14 says, so she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She said to God, you are the God who sees me. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called 
Bir Laharoi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. I probably butchered all of those. The important thing here, though, is that she gives God a name, uh, a nickname, if you will, a personal name to God. Um, she says, you are El Roy, which El Roy is just the Hebrew word. It literally means, I have seen the God who sees me. She has seen God, the God who sees her, who met her in her weakest, most alone moment, and she gets to give God a name. We don't fully understand the significance of this because we're not Hebrews, but it was huge. It's still, it's one of the Hebrew names of God. It's a huge deal, a huge honor. She puts this name to God because it's true. She has seen the God who sees me. Um, and we look at Hagar's story from a human perspective, I do, and I think, Hagar's life sucked. Like, she is not having a good life, right? Like, everything, all this bad stuff has happened to her. Why? Like, and I think a lot of us would probably be tempted to even say, like, if God is good, how could he let this stuff happen to Hagar, right? If that's what we think all the time in our world today. If God is good, how could he let that happen? How could he allow that to happen? And that's a tough question to wrestle with. Um, but I think, and I believe the Bible shows us, that we might have our perspective on pain and suffering backwards. I think we think, we're humans, we live in America in 2019, we are chasing comfort and happiness and peace and satisfaction, and those are not bad things. But because of that, because of where we live and the way we've been raised in the world that we're living in, we think that anything that is bad or hard or is painful is wrong. It's bad. It's not good for us. Why would God give us that? I would think that maybe we have it backwards. Maybe Hagar had a better life than any of us because she got to meet God face to face in her suffering, in her pain, she met God, she looked at him, she talked to him, and she gave him a name. She said, you are the God who sees me. She met him. And so I am not by any means encouraging us to run after heartbreak and sadness and pain. I'm not saying we need to go chase that down um, and seek it, but I am saying consistently throughout the Bible, it seems like the people that knew God the deepest had the biggest spheres of influence um, and just were on fire for the Lord are a lot of times people that had the hardest lives. We see this in the New Testament. Paul, for instance, the dude was imprisoned most of his life. Uh, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was scorned. Um, and all the while saying to live is Christ and to die is gain. Glory to God. The whole time, the whole time he was in prison, he kept writing letters to the people, telling them, like, you got to believe in this Jesus. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened so that you could know Jesus. That's what he's doing while he's going through this hard suffering that we think is evil and bad. Um, another one would be all of the disciples. Most of them were martyred, killed for preaching Jesus. But they said, I can't even believe we get to suffer for the name of Christ. This is awesome. They said, glory to God. I can't even believe this because they were getting to experience that tangible closeness with the Lord. One of them even said, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way of Jesus. They knew him deeply because of their pain. So my thought for you is if you are in pain, you're walking through something hard, if you're not now, you have before or you will, uh, because we live in a broken world that promises suffering. It's just remember, 
Remember that we get to know Jesus way more intimately and deeply in the times that we're suffering because we cling to him in our weakness. His power is made perfect. That was a little bit of a tangent. But that brings me to my last point, and that is that God meets you and cares for you amidst your circumstances rather than just fixing them, which is kind of what I just talked about. But God meets you and cares for you amidst your circumstances rather than just taking them away. Because he could, right? He is a powerful, almighty, righteous God. He could do it. He could take it all away. But it seems like he wants to meet us and care for us in our circumstances rather than just pull us out and save the day. Um, and that's countercultural. We think if God loved us and cared for us, he'd take it all away. But it doesn't seem to be what he does. So, back into the text with Hagar. I'm going to wrap up her story here. Her story does not end at the end of chapter 16, just so you know. Uh, it keeps going all the way through chapter 21. She actually has another encounter with the angel of the Lord. She has this crazy awesome story. But the end of chapter 16 concludes with a simple act of obedience. Hagar is obedient. We're going to read it. Um, Verse 15 through 16 says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The angel of the Lord tells her to go back. She goes back to the woman that hates her and the dude who she had to sleep with and carry his baby, and she goes back. How? That's my thought. How does she go back? How is there any way she goes back? I would be like, no, those people are crazy. Um, but she goes back. And the only way that Hagar goes back, you guys, is because of the power of the Lord. She met the Lord. She knew he saw her. She knew she cared for her. He told her what to do, and she did it. She was empowered by God after she met him, so she goes back. She's obedient even when she doesn't want to be. Um, so, kind of wrapping up, in conclusion... I just want to read this kind of a spiel, but just reminding us of what we just learned. It says, So Hagar ran, but she was found by the Lord. She was hopeless, but God gave her hope and a promise. She was invisible to the world, but God saw her. She didn't know God, but then she met him face to face and gave him a name. A name that rings true to his character for us today. El Roy, the God who sees us, became Emmanuel, our God with us. Um, it's Jesus. If you see the connection, it's always been Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The only name that can save. The name above every name. Uh, Jesus, the, John 1 says, he be, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to save us. He cared for his people all the way through. The Old Testament is preparing a way for Jesus to come. It's what we've been talking about this summer. Jesus comes in the New Testament. We see him. And then in Revelation, he's coming back. It's always been the plan. The plan has always been Jesus. El Roy, Emmanuel, same God. Um, so I hope tonight that you leave knowing a couple things. Uh, I hope you're reminded of who God is of his character, that he sees you and loves you and cares for you and knows you. Um, I hope you realize and just acknowledge that your thoughts and your prayers and your concerns are not a burden to him. 
He can handle it. He's the God of the universe. He always has been able to handle it, and he wants to. Um, he wants you to run to him. Uh, he delights in seeing you and saving you. Um, so I hope that you just leave tonight in love with Jesus, reminded of who he actually is, reminded of what the point of any of this is, right? Why on earth do we do all of this if it's not for Jesus? There's no point. Um, so for 120 seconds today, which is if you've never been here, it's just like a time we have the music on and we just sit here and we kind of think through what we just talked about so we don't just get up and leave uh, without thinking about it. For today, I would love, if you know the Lord, I would love for you to just sit there and talk to him. I'd just love for you to just sit there and worship and prayer the God who sees you and knows you and loves you. Um, but I'm also going to, we are going to have some questions up there if things you want to think through. The first one is, if you do not know uh, El Roy, the God who sees you, Emmanuel, the God with us, the one, the Jesus that I'm up here repeating repetitively, if you don't know him, um, I would just challenge you to just think about him. Just think about Jesus. Consider him. Um, the second one is that, uh, do you want to be seen by God, or are you hiding? So if you know the Lord, um, I just want to challenge you to think about, do you want to be seen by the God that sees you? That could be scary. Um, you could be hiding something. I don't know. But just challenge you to think through, do you want to be seen by God, or are you hiding? And then the third one is, what do you turn to for hope in your weakest moments, like that moment I was talking about, my like snotty, nasty, ugly cry when I'm like, why God? Um, where do you turn? Where do you turn to for in those moments? Or what do you turn to? Um, and just the challenge on that one is just think about it this week, tonight, tomorrow, the next day. When something happens, would you just consider turning your mind and your eyes on Jesus? It sounds simple, but it's really hard. We all know that that is true. So we say it every single week. Um, but our prayer team is here, and they want to serve you. They wear black t-shirts so that you can find them. Uh, they're going to be in the back during 120 and then a little bit after, and then they'll also be in the front after this. We, I think I just this week, I've just been convicted and overwhelmed with the fact that, like, if this isn't about Jesus, if it's not about knowing him, making him known, pointing people to him, leading people to him, then it is pointless. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if you have fears, if you have concerns, if you just need some prayer, someone to remind you when you've forgotten that God sees you and cares for you and knows you and is for you and is on your team, get up out of your chair and go talk to a prayer person. I promise, they're the nicest people. That's why they're on that team. Um, it's just worth it. It's worth having a conversation. If you're just questioning this whole thing and you're like, I don't know, somebody made me come. I, we just want to talk to you. It's not a creepy cult. We just want to have a conversation. Um, so just would challenge you to think through those things and ultimately spend a few minutes with Jesus. Maybe you didn't get the time for that today, or maybe even if you did, it's been a long day. So spend a few minutes with Jesus. Be reminded of who he is. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have uh, 120 seconds in worship. Uh, Lord God, thank you just that you are stinking cool. Thank you that you had invented this crazy game plan uh, before the beginning of time, that it would be about Jesus in Genesis and Exodus and all of the other books, all the way up until Matthew. 
uh, that it was always about him, that your written word is here so that we can find you and know you and share you with the world. Lord, I pray for every person in here, I pray that we would be reminded um, of you and our purpose and our hope in this broken world, Lord. I just thank you that you are the God who sees us, who cares for us, who knows us. Um, And I pray that we would run to you. In your name I pray, amen.